Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Never in a hundred million years did I ever dream that I'd be here. Everything about it, now my heart has found it. Suddenly everything is clear. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast for a journey that Paul and I have been talking about for a long, long time. And it's one that we've kind of avoided through nothing but ignorance, really. We want to try and get our head around the career of one Lawrence Cream, um, post Godly and Cream. So from the year after Goodbye Blue Sky, we've been trying to piece together his movements and it's been a challenge. Um, So this is part of what we hope will be a two podcast series. We're going to be looking at Lol Cream the Journeyman and looking at the mixed bag of guest appearances and his time as member of a couple of bands, some of which are spectacularly good and others we're kind of struggling to hear Lol on these things. Paul, it strikes me that Lol is all but invisible uh, from 1990 to the present day. Yes, uh, we've been researching this for a couple of weeks, haven't we? Looking at and listening to loads of tracks and some of the music is very interesting. It's certainly very diverse and we know Lowell is involved writing and performing, but you have to really strain to hear his voice, mm. which was so singular during the, the 10CC years and before and and after within Godly and Cream. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting journey. It's yes, uh, there's a certain invisibility to Lowell that you wouldn't perhaps have predicted from his dynamic presence Mm. earlier to this point. But you know, we'll we'll see what we can uncover as we go. Yes, absolutely. And I'm with you completely that there's no doubt as, as we've, we've said so many times on the podcast about Lowell's musical genius, a gifted guitarist and and piano player, uh, songwriter, um, probably pound for pound the best musician in 10cc. Paul, would you agree? The best all-rounder? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I would say so. A major, major writer, as we were discussing earlier, you don't get to be 25% of 10cc without being an absolute major contributor. Yes. How could you be? Absolutely. They're the, one of the greatest bands ever, and, and there are no passengers in that band. As we've said many times, everything was in perfect balance mm. uh, just for long enough to create this in, amazing, eclectic body of work. And, and even after the split in 76, it was clearly as much cream and godly as it was godly and cream. Mm. They were indivisible at that stage um although maybe there were clues as early as well even consequences certainly l where lol began to drift back from the front in a way Mm. kev sang more and more lead vocals and that was suddenly noticeable when it was just the two of them and by freeze frame as early as that from a vocal presence 
he, he wasn't as uh, as noticeable as he had been previously. Although clearly, instrumentally, and from a writing point of view, he was he was still bringing it, bringing his A game. So, yeah, we're going to try and unravel what happened. Maybe, maybe it's a non-story, you know. <laughs> but yes. we, we know the work. We know the work. We don't know the man. So we don't mm. really. We, we, we get we're looking into gaps and spaces we don't really know if there is anything yes. if there is a story or whether it's just pure supposition that's right and, and by dint of the fact that we've completely failed paul to pin lol down he said yes. quite rightly um that he doesn't this isn't really his bag talking yeah. unearthing the past isn't really uh, what he's into doing uh, he he always downplays his ability to remember everything and i'm sure mm. that's just modesty on on his part um, yes, so we can't ask him um, that about that dynamic change from being the lead singer of 10cc, um, dramatically so, 72-73, still singing uh, lead on, on singles from sheet music and the original soundtrack. And as far as I'm aware, Paul, I think Life as a Minestrone was his last lead vocal on a hit. Is that right? Uh he had a bit in the middle of art for art's sake, didn't he? Yes. But yes, as a, as a as a dynamic lead vocalist, and really the sound of 10CC in those early days, and we know that may have been by accident, uh, but nevertheless, he seemed to approach that with relish. And of course, in a live environment, the tapes we have to hand and 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 a few videos, he's the certainly the closest thing that our band have got to a front man isn't he Absolutely. he's a dynamic yeah he's, he's a dynamic he's, performer he is and uh, a, a joker the comedian yeah the one who, who's more, most comfortable talking to the audience as well um yes and it would seem strange looking at it from the outside that post mug shots it's so rare that we hear his voice singing a lead vocal um with one notable exception, which I'm hoping to start this podcast with, and we'll be talking right. about his work with Trevor Horn and the band producers uh, a little bit later. If we skip over his early writing credit, Paul, on the B-side of, of one of Graham's uh, early, early outings... Yeah. In, in my less than encyclopedic library, my 10cc library, all I've got of LOL performing or releasing anything solo is Naughty Nola. Am I right? Uh, was that even released? Is it like an ultra, ultra rare release or is it something that was never officially <laughs> released? I'm a, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit sketchy on that. Well, um, you've been uh, ranting and raving about uh, the the sheets that we got from Harvey, those sort of studio and tape sheets that we've got, we know yeah. we know it was a session, and we've got a tape of it. Um, we do, and it's a it's an interesting little piece. It sounds like a, a lol solo performance. It sounds like he's playing around with a Moog. Yes, I think every sound on it is is from the it's Moog. keyboard yeah. generated, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's it's not an original tune, is it? Because it's it's it, it's it's a kind of um, 
a medley of a, of a, a very familiar, silly kind of <laughs> English tune that I can't, almost like a, a comedy or a TV theme that I can't, can't quite put my finger yeah, on. Yeah, I, de- I definitely hear a TV theme in there, Paul, and I've been racking my brains. It's been keeping me awake at night. That's sad. I'm sorry about that. I was thinking then maybe the... Mr. Ben or, or something like that. Like, it sounds older and more folky and uh, you know uh, than that. And then the middle bits, um, well, the tune I know as Red Army Blues that the Water Boys used on a on a B side, but it's it's a Russian folk song, isn't it? The middle bit. So I'm not sure yes. why it, the song is credited to Lowell and Harvey, which mm. is interesting in itself. Um, <laughs> but you can't imagine the two of them having a writing session in one of those little rooms in Strawberry, but maybe they did. <laughs> well, Harvey did have his finger in an awful lot of pies. Yeah, exactly. Maybe maybe he paid for the Moog. The strange thing here is that on the recording that our friend David Jarvis was very, very kind to, to send to us, you can hear crackles, uh, vinyl crackles, which means right. either it's a rare single pour or an acetate. Yes. And I, I don't know if, if it saw any more light than that. Yeah. <laughs> it was... It was never a it was never a chart bound sound, was it? As, <laughs> no. as our friend Blint would say. But it's interesting. Around the same time, you had that massive hit, um, Popcorn, seventy two. That yeah. came out, um, which was, as a kid, it, it it struck me as the first time I'd heard that sound uh, on the radio or on on top of the pops or what have you. Uh, and I think Lowell was kind of riding that wave. And he, of course, he used that that moog a lot, didn't he? When you think he um, he twiddle away in his back bedroom, coming up with the intro to Hotel, for example. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah, um, and he was very, very creative at, at getting unusual sounds out of it: percussive, squidgy bass. Um, kind of lead sounds and and of course it would have been his expertise to come up with the kick drum sound on I'm Not In Love as well That's right, if you compare him with from a keyboard point of view we say Eric who is also a, a very good keyboard player but much more traditional as far as we know he wasn't um, experimenting with different uh, out there sounds with different instruments he seemed to be happier to, to work in a more traditional field and he used it for writing of course a lot as did Lowell, but Lowell, um, although also in his own way a brilliant pianist and really reaching his apex in consequences, mm. which is wonderful keyboard yes. playing. His synthesizer work is great. I mean, it's um, must be him doing all the synths on Hospital Song and things like that. Yes. His, his synth work is sort of a slightly overshadowed by the gizmo almost, isn't it? They're, they're, you don't really think of 
synthesizers when you think of 10cc but there's a lot of different synths and keyboards on those early records yes and especially on sheet music Mm. um they kind of opened up keyboard wise on sheet music didn't they you've got a lot of synth going on in a lot of songs and of course you've got a mellotron haven't you Yes, although actually having said, Eric, Eric did play the Mellotron, I think, didn't he? Certainly he played it on Wall Street Shuffle. Yeah. So, yeah. so that counters my earlier argument. Yeah, and also um, this will counter an early argument as well, Paul. I've cheated yeah. and I've pulled up um, a site called poppsych.com, which has oh, yeah. a photo of Naughty Nola. Um, 1973, um, published by Harvey B. Lisberg Limited. Uh, okay. More on that later, I'm sure. And uh, <laughs> yet, lo and behold, this is a demo record, not for sale. Naughty Nola, songwriting credit to Lawrence, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, mm. And the artist is LOL, L-O-L, capitals. Um, okay. And the B-side was a track called Bumbler. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, talking about our famous or favourite PRS database, having having looked at all the tracks credited to Lowell, I had to go back and do another search for Lawrence mm. because uh, it's one of those things, half the tracks are credited to Lowell, half to Lawrence. His real name, of course, is Lawrence Neil Cream. Yes. And, uh, yeah, uh, Bumbler and Rumbler... Uh, <laughs> are two tracks credited to LOL alone, um, as is Baby Not Like You, which we briefly mentioned at his first composition in 1964, which ended up as um, a whirlwind's B-side, didn't it? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, so um, hopefully by the end of the year, Paul, we'll, we'll manage to unearth Bumbler or, <laughs> or Rumbler, because uh, we, we can never trust either record labels or uh, the PRS database, can we, for complete accuracy? No, in fact, Rumbler and Bumbler could be the same thing. Yeah. And, if, and if anybody's still with us... <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, so um, between um, Naughty Nola, which is kind of like a, a sort of a hot legsy type demo that, that Lol yeah. put out, obviously his famous career with 10cc and his famous career with, with Godly and Cream, um, his musical dabblings didn't really venture out uh, of those clubs did they um i mean he and kevin were welded together at a molecular level throughout the late 70s and and 80s whether as musicians or as really successful video directors and uh, obviously we've got a lot to talk about in a in a separate chat about the the production work that godly and cream did for a number of other artists uh, guesting on records or, or indeed um, sitting jointly at the knobs. And I'm thinking of, of things like Manzanera, um, even Jonah Louie, The Photo Kid, um, Blue Rondo, A La Turk, and, and others. Uh, there's even um, talk of 
Godling Cream producing a record, a, a cover version of In the City by The Jam uh, for a band called Time UK. Um, and nobody on the planet seems to be able to locate a tape of that. But this is a separate chat. And yes. what I didn't want us to do uh, in this episode is to kind of just jump in time all the way forward to 1990 and ignore um, quite a lot of interesting variety of stuff that Kevin and Lol did in the studio uh, in, in that previous decade. Um, but this is way, Paul, of long-windedly introducing <laughs> Lowell's um, interesting and varied journey as a session guy from 1990 onwards. <laughs> Well, the, the, uh, just like 1976 was a, um, a pivotal year in the, in the history of, of, of members of the band, so was 1990, which was the point at which um, Kevin and Lowell split. And we don't really know much about what happened there, but it's such an important point. I mean, 10CC Mark I were together for officially four years. <clears throat> Kevin and Lowell were together for 25 years. Yeah. Uh, a huge uh, partnership, incredibly creative and successful. Um, and they were so close um, creatively, uh, unlike, unlike, for example, Eric and Graham. I mean, Eric and Graham was, was a great working relationship for a while, but it didn't seem to have that creative intensity mm. that, that Kevin Lowell had. And, and, and that's partly because it was a childhood friendship that was... You know, everything was born out of that original uh, closeness. So when they split, that must have, it must have been difficult. It must have uh, daunting for, for both of them. I mean, Kevin just seemed to carry straight on uh, in the driven way that he still does to this day. I mean, um, you have to help me with the timeline here, but his was his first major solo project the one world one voice yes and that was um, 1990 wasn't it that was 1990 it must have maybe already been uh um in the planning stage possibly as a as a, as a joint project i don't know um lol's project of course at the beginning was was his movie the lunatic and mm. um, they um they both kevin and lol obviously had long had ambitions to direct a film, not just a series of videos. And and Lowell was the one who actually went ahead and did it. On the island paradise of Jamaica lived a man with a strange name. Aloysius, idiomatic, Gassama, impracticable. Strange friends. Hello? Go away, you damn thief! He is talking to the tree again. This this strange <laughs> film. Uh, have you ever seen it? It used to be on YouTube. It is. Uh, uh, is well, it the, tra- the trailers on YouTube. I'm not sure if the full film is. I'm, I'm sure I sat down and tried to watch it about yeah. about a year ago, Paul. I think I got yeah. five minutes into it and I thought I'm not going to get I'm not going to get on with this. Uh, yeah, it was I, so silly. Um, I've got yes. I mean, neither of us have seen it. Then uh, I've got the re- I've got a couple of reviews here, <laughs> uh, contemporary reviews. I think this was from 
oh, it might have been the New York Times or something like that. The lunatic, mind-boggling, often boring comedy stroke sex <laughs> romp presents a disarmingly naive view of Jamaican life. And it's about, I mean, it, get, it gets more problematic. Gentle lunatic uh, Aloysius, I think is the name of the main character, uh, and the menage a trois he sets up with a German tourist, Inga, and machete-welding goat butcher, Service <laughs> Johnson. Uh, Absolutely. And, uh, and, uh, and I think that the, the, the German nymphomaniac attempts to uh, kill him with, with continuous uh, demands for pom-pom, I think she calls it. Uh, okay. Yeah, so it's all kind of... It's like carry-on a la Jamaica, really. Uh, as far as I can tell, it's really interesting looking at IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes actually, because the reviews oh, yeah. the review, reviews aren't that bad. IMDb right. is six point six out of ten, okay. which is yeah. respectable, and Rotten Tomatoes the audience score seventy six. Um, no, maybe, maybe it's a kind of cult favourite or something. Yeah, um, um, but I did note that IMDb only has about four reviews on it, um, <laughs> all from uh, Jamaicans, it would seem. Um, right, okay. ma- many of them just absolutely love it to death. They said they actually wet themselves watching it. Um, right. One of the funniest <laughs> films they'd ever seen. So maybe we're missing something there, Paul. It's kind of Dreadlock Holiday writ large, isn't it, almost? It's, um, you know. Um, uh, there's a nice quote from Lol here, again, from the time, I think. Um, we have plenty of violence and sex in movies, then he pauses. Well, there's plen- there is some violence and plenty of sex in this movie, but in a delightful way, yes. which is um, which is a nice quote, I think. Yeah, and it does uh, it does seem to be a, a bit of innocent knockabout fun, with some some naughty innuendos, but like the carry on tradition, harmless. Yeah, but that I mean that's just maybe we're, we're joking about the content of the picture, just the amount of work, the undertaking in making, in directing mm-hmm. a movie, that must have taken a huge amount of energy and time um, as he sets sail, you know, breaking away from, from Kevin. So it must have been... What, what, do, you, do you happen to know whether that was an, or, originally going to be a joint project? I don't know. Um, I know it right. was filmed in 91, it, uh, released in 92, okay. and it could well have been long in the planning. It's an interesting yeah. question, that, about what they would have planned to do together. It may well be that Lowell was hoping to be involved in One World, One Voice. Um, and yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but as, as far as I can, I can work out by kind of raking through ashes, um, <laughs> is that Kevin and Lowell split up because one of them decided to go off and do a project on their own. Yes, um... Wasn't it connected, a film connected with a fashion show or a fashion shoot or something ah, like that? Okay, so it wasn't One World, One Voice. Robin is the curse of a poor man who's got to work all day for me and you. Robin is the curse of a rich man because it's a thing he's gotten used to. Robin in the sound of vengeance running. Robin in big machines. Robin in a million chainsaws buzzing in the jungle. I don't think so, but... Maybe, yeah, that maybe that was a catalyst, but perhaps the, the partnership had just, there was, uh, Kev, Kev does mention this in his book, and I should have done a bit of research, because we do know a bit about it, because Kevin does talk about it. I yes. can't remember what he says now. He just says there was a subtle change in the dynamic, in the, or perhaps he says that, in the relationship. Or it, it had just run its course, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and sad. So, and, yes, but, and... 
And um, funny in a way that, that Lowell doesn't direct another feature film. Um, so it would seem that his only, his only involvement with film dramas would have been The Lunatic and mm. his starring role as Dracula. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's two things to put on your CV, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, but, but, of course, Lowell has had a very, very busy career as a video director. And, and and he and he and Kevin carried on in in that vein, um, well to the to the present day, and, and Lol mm. I believe is still producing um, high profile ads for for big corporate companies, car companies, and so on, um, from people a little closer to him. Uh, but right. uh, uh, we won't give away anything at this stage, um, just fear unless it doesn't happen at all. But. Mm. Uh, his, his musical career is, is something I wanted to go on to, Paul. And as far as I can tell, his first musical involvement after Godly and Cream split up was a really interesting record by um, a Scandinavian lady called Inga Humper. And mm-hmm. there's a really quirky single called Riding Into Blue, Cowboy Song. Yes. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. It's, um, it, it stands apart, and, and a couple of other tracks do, from the, the later Trevor Horn productions, which are generally speaking very mainstream, often very well-established artists, and, and taken, as a, taken as a whole, they rather kind of fade into the background yes. whereas the, 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 the personality of this artist who I don't know anything about does really come through um, yeah it's a good song and, and Lol is is pretty active on this track he, he is he's doing both rhythm guitar and singing BVs he's got a line in it who's the loner mm. um, and it's a lovely track it's got that lolloping California girls bass line that we hear uh, interestingly, interestingly on Naughty Nola <laughs> um, yes. which, which gives it that. it gives it that kind of cowboy lollop um, yeah. and the, the <laughs> harmonies on it are absolutely fabulous reminds me of, of people like the Beverly Sisters um, mm. the kind of things that you'd have heard in wartime on, on US radio um, where you've got those really ridiculously tightly packed harmonies yes um, exactly yeah. it's, it's got such charm and personality this record <laughs> For me, the really key thing about this track is the fact that it's produced by Trevor Horn. And Trevor Horn will be almost entirely responsible for Lowell's musical contributions from that date to the present day. Um, Almost as if Lowell is treating his musical career as a bit of a hobby now and that he's kind of roused out of slumber by his, his, his chum Trevor. Yes, he seems to be very comfortable in the role of musical lieutenant. Yes. Rather than uh, 
equal partner. He, 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 for whatever reason, from this point, he, he slipped very easily into that role and has, has remained in it ever since, um, which is fine. Yeah. Um, and that that explains why you we have to strain to hear his voice uh, in inverted commas as as well as his actual voice. Yes. Um, no, absolutely. He he becomes one of a kind of backroom team. Yes. With. Trevor Horn at the helm, uh, and you know my thoughts about Trevor Horn, Paul. I'm an yeah. enormous admirer, uh, particularly of his work pre-90s, um, mm. but some really, really interesting things uh, post-90s as well. There is a parallel with Kev, though, here, though very, very active and creative and and, and more visible than Lol, yeah. I think that's fair to say, was also withdrawing from music. Um, there was that awful sinking feeling I got when on the One World, One Voice, he said it on camera, I used to be a musician. Mm, yeah. And that, that really put a crimp in my evening when he said that, because mm. it... It, 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 he was setting out his, his new direction and it didn't involve him being, it seemed, actively involved in music. So, the, so there is a parallel perhaps with, with Lowell. Maybe the two of them were unconfident about doing music completely on their own, although, of course, Lowell would have been self-sufficient in the way that Kevin wasn't, you know, being a, a chordal instrument writer, uh, a multi-instrumentalist and a vocalist. But it's interesting. There was, they both um, left music behind in some fundamental way. Mm. A lot was still involved in music, and we'll go on to, to see how how involved, but it, just in a different way. That's a really good point. Uh, maybe the the almost total commercial failure of Birds of Prey and Goodbye Blue Sky. Maybe that was for them. The final nail in the coffin of of any sort of hope of commercial success. Yes, they really enjoyed the Goodbye Blue Sky project. I think they that was a an appropriate swan song for them in a way, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was because uh, I personally don't get that much out of the album, but it was a, a it was a different approach with a completely a different cohort of people working with them. New sound, back to an organic approach. And, yeah, it was a fitting end in, in many ways. Yes, indeed. And it was really interesting, uh, as far as I can tell, what Lowell did next. And I presume after he'd um, he'd storyboarded and directed The Lunatic, he was back in the saddle again with Trevor Horn on a really interesting collection of tunes, Paul. I'm not sure <laughs> if you're familiar with the soundtrack of the movie Toys. It's basically a collaboration between Trevor Horn and, of all, of all people, Hans Zimmer and also Bruce Woolley, who was very involved in, the, in Buggles uh, yes. in the early 80s. But this is the closing of the year.
The musical cast of the Toys soundtrack is it's almost like a, a who's who. Um, partly really famous artists, uh, musicians and actors, actually. People like Tori Amos, you've got John Cusack, um, Peter Gabriel, Michael Gambon, um, Steve Howe from Yes, Ian Hunter from Mott the Hoople, Louis Jardim, who's a percussionist on Peter Gabriel and Trevor Horn stuff. Grace Jones is on there. Pat Metheny. All contributing original tracks then to this or, soundtrack. Or guest vocals, guest instrumentals. Uh, but also uh, what you see is, is Trevor Horn's, very much his usual pack, his usual gang, uh, where you've got mm. people like Jonathan Jesselick, J.J. Jesselick, who we talked about in terms of History Mix Volume 1, Steve Lipson, uh, a producer for ZTT, Trevor Horn's label, who would later then become a, a, a member of producers. So you see artists like Seal as well, who would almost exclusively uh, record with Trevor Horn from the early 90s onwards. So I'd love to get hold of that record, Paul, because just hmm. the cast of thousands is is a is a is a really fantastic thing. I've never heard of the film. Presumably, it was a a flop, or was it, maybe, it, was it not? It was a hugely hyped uh, flop, starring Robin Williams. I, I saw it a few Christmases ago for the first time. I missed out at at the cinema. Um, yeah. Very overblown, and I think it was aimed at kids. But had too kind of dark a theme, so, and okay. it, it didn't really it didn't really kind of hit the mark with either kids or adults. So right. I think it was a very very expensive flop. But it sounds to me like the soundtrack could be something else. I think it, it's really interesting to see Lowell in the mid-90s get involved with some serious heavyweight artists. Again, he's part of um, Horn Productions um, and he's, he's been brought in for the odd track on extremely <clears throat> successful albums or singles. And the first one that I can find on this is a cracking single, actually, um, dare I say it, a bit of a guilty pleasure, and yeah. not an artist that I follow because I find him just a little bit too much, a little bit I overbearing. Can't, I can't wait to see who you're going to say looking <laughs> at my list of major artists here. It's, uh, and I think this was a big hit by Tom Jones, If Only I uh, Knew. Tom of Jones, right, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the album cover's great, isn't it? With, it, it in it a is. string vest. Yes, it is. <laughs> Swinging the lead yeah. is, is about skiving off work, isn't it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. And it's interesting. I bet I bet Tom Jones has never skived off work in his life. <laughs> if I only knew what I could do, make you, make you love me, make you, make you... Lol and Lalo are playing on this. And interestingly, Lol also directed the video. And mm. I'm, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, Paul. I don't think so, no. It's it's actually uh, quite hilarious. It's um, The basic story is a, a young man who I'm convinced is played by Lalo. Uh, right. Uh, Lol's son. Uh, it looks 
very much like him. He's he's a musician guitarist with a pet, yeah. a pet dog, and right. out out in the garden he's got this amazing contraption of walking the dog, kind of by remote control, where the dog's <laughs> attached to um, this metal framework by way of a kind of a, a, a pulley or a kind of a rolling stock thing thing. Yeah. So the dog's running running around the garden uh, along this track. In the same way that a roller coaster kind of hangs off this metal frame, um, it's exactly like that. And then the dog goes out into the street where there's more of these metal frameworks, and he meets other dogs that are attached to these metal wow. things. Um, so it's quite ingenious, the sort of thing that Kevin Godley was doing as well. You know, where there's um, there's one idea that's a, a little bit wacky. And where does Tom Jones feature in all of this? He's just he's just kind of popping up ever so often uh, in, in okay. a kind of a, a, a sexy leather-clad way, in, okay. bla- in black and white. So right. it's, it's not really clear how Tom Jones links with all this, but it's, it's, an, <laughs> it's an interesting watch. Um, and it's interesting to see Lol and his son being involved both musically and, and with the video, and it's clear that, that Lalo is an extremely uh, good rock guitarist. following year, Lowell's involved again on a major artist's record on the Rod Stewart's Spanner in the Works album. Uh, have you heard the track Hang On St Christopher? Yeah, it's a bit by the numbers blues. Yeah. Hang on St Christopher to the smoke and the down the road and let the radiator go out. can't criticise Lowell for the material or the choice of material because he, he didn't co-write that song, did he? He merely played on it. Um, it it's all right. And I think, I, I do think this roster of mainstream artists, Rod Stewart, Cher, Tina Turner with Barry White, Lisa Stansfield, Pet Shop Boys, and then on later to Seal and on to later, um, you know, artists a bit, a bit, bit nearer to today, it's um, it's a bit homogenous the whole the whole thing, and that is partly because of um, maybe because of Trevor Horn's production. It's partly because I don't remember any of these records. Weren't all these major players just slightly past their commercial peak at this stage? Yes. Even that- though they, ha- even though Trevor Horn was uh, still a big name, and it, it almost seemed like you know they went to. Tr- they went to Trevor to do the Trevor Horn album. Yes. Um, I don't remember any of these projects really catching fire. No, I, I agree. I mean, Tom Jones had a had a, a big bunch of hits, didn't he, around that time? And, of course, he'd worked with Art of Noise on Kiss. Yeah. Uh, which may have been how he got involved with, with, with Trevor, based yes, on that experience. So. But I think what you're saying is... Very astute, you know. Rod Stewart, ninety-five. Yeah, it, it's way past his his proper sell-by date. Um, and I suppose Cher as well uh, in ninety-five. Um, she's teaming up with Barry White on uh, "In Your Wildest Dreams." No, that's that's Tina Turner. Oh no, sorry, 
sorry well, yeah. but, but that's okay that almost proves the point to how interchangeable some of some of this stuff is if you know what i mean i'm confusing the song shape of things to come uh that's a, a co-write between Tre yeah. trevor and lol um not often you see lol's name as a collaborator songwriting wise No, that's a that's a fairly lackluster song. I mean, in terms of our boys giving songs to share, it's it's no behind the door, is it? <laughs> no, indeed, <laughs> no, uh, exactly. Um, but I I much prefer the the Tina Turner Barry White one in Your Wildest Dreams. Actually, um, it, it it's a little bit like Slave to the Rhythm, you know, the Grace Jones track, uh, which I've always loved. Of course, another Trevor yes. Horn production, and it's it's got elements of that um little moments sort of borrowed from some of trevor's other work for seal for example you know songs like crazy um mm. so this one's good i mean i'm i'm a, i'm an admirer of barry white i'm not uh, i'm not a fan of, of tina turner's music particularly but I, I i love her i love her soulful vocals and i love what she did in the 60s so yeah this one's a thumbs up for me Yeah, so I guess even though the thought of these former giants getting together for a kind of a schmaltzy, easy listening, kind of acid jazz type of collaboration... Yeah, that's a bit boring. But for me, it's really interesting to see that Lol on this one is credited not only for being a kind of a production assistant, so he'd have been sitting in the control room, um, but he's also keyboards and programming on this pool. He's not. Yeah, he's yeah, not just. Right. He's not just doing rhythm guitar, which he seems to on so many sessions. Yeah, you're it, right. It's yeah. nice to imagine him and hear him with his his fingers on the keyboard for once. Yes. Much more interesting, I think, from from our point of view, Paul, and arguably f from a 10cc point of view, um, and and really something for us to get our teeth into, is a 1995 project, again produced by Trelvis Hornsley, uh, <laughs> yeah. yes, and Lol. Um, yeah. It's kind of a a soundtrack record uh, for a TV series that went out at the time. Um, and it's kind of a sort of, if you remember the comedy band Bad News, I think they were called, mm -hmm. uh, uh, a spin-off from the comic strip, and yes. of, and of yes. course Spinal Tap. What we've got mm -hmm. here is this gross invented band, the glam metal detectives, um, who w were just this this appalling kind of miming bunch. But here's the interesting thing for us is that. 
most of the songs that weren't covers are written by a three-man team of Lowell Cream, Trevor Horn, and some chap called Richards. And I don't know who that Richards chap is. But right. some of this stuff is really, really interesting, I think. Well, it's it's a bit rawer and and rougher than those mainstream people we were talking about, and therefore more interesting. But it's, I don't know, it's a bit of a stretch for me to get excited about it. Uh, the, the, one of the tracks was a hit, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Everybody Up was a top 20 hit. Yeah, not my cup of tea, but I think... Trevor and Lola are having a lot of fun doing this stuff. It's electro, but it's also has got that kind of the power chord thing of, of early 70s rock as well. Um, I think they're mm. trying to be a bit punk as well. Um, I think they're letting their hair down, literally. Um, and there was a riff There was a riff on here. Sorry to interrupt. That just reminded me. Was it a, um, was it a part of um, Good Morning Judge, I heard? Yes. That, yeah, absolutely. Uh, also, there's two versions as well of Hit the Box, which I think right. you'll recall is the track that Kevin and Lol and Trevor were trying to put together in 84. And they trashed that project and came up with Cry instead. Yeah, and was this um, sort of a, a, a retread or, you know, a, a, that track was started then and finished here and brought into this project? It certainly seems that way. Certainly seems that, that way. That is and, interesting. Yeah, and there yeah. are two, two versions of it. Um, and you've got, some, you've got quite a lot of original uh, songs. Everybody Up is one of them. Uh, they had the theme tune to the TV programme, of course, as well. Uh, and other co-writes like Amazing What You Hear, Wicked Witch, uh, Doing It All For You. And um, I love this one, Funk and Justice for All the Glams Save the World. Great title. But interestingly, <laughs> there's, there are a few covers as well. Uh, Let's Dance, Crazy Horses, and Come On, Feel the Noise, the, the slave tune. So come on, feel the noise. Girls, rock your boys. We get wild, wild, wild at the yeah, the the only one I could bring myself to listen to all the way through was, was Come On, Feel the Noise, which is a shame, because I should have done Crazy Horses, because I love that song. Yeah, me but too, I... me too. <laughs> so they've obviously gone for this kind of the, the loud glam, um, sort of proto-punk type feel. Um, and mm. I, I found it ref refreshing, even though that the programme is, is, I think, unwatchably naff now. Right. Very much kind of a an attempt to do... A sort of magazine program come sketch show uh, it's no far show let's put it that way <laughs> oh. Lol and Layla are playing on this I, I, I think I can hear him sort of his fingers flying shredding some, some lead lines um, right. and the two of them a trading licks that sound like they're stolen from Eric's early 70s 
DI sound, you know, the, the rubber bullets wailing guitar sound. Yeah. Um, I think it's a deliberate nod back to that. Um, but there's this, this crazy kind of duet of guitars, which I think is a lot of fun. Something interesting happens in the late 90s. We've talked at length, or rather I've, I've talked at length on a, on a previous podcast about um, ZTT Records, uh, which was helmed by, by Trevor Horn, uh, among others, and The Art of Noise, who were the, the first musical product of, of that studio. So The Art of Noise had had two iterations, really. Um, they were... They, found most of the, their success in the, the early, mid-80s. And then there was a parting of the ways, and Trevor Horn and his right-hand man, Paul Morley, the, the master of, of words, and not much else, certainly a marketing genius. They flew the nest, leaving the rest of, of the art of noise, led by the likes of J.J. Jesselick and, and Dudley, um, to, to carry on flying the flag. And they had some success with... Kiss with Tom Jones and also the Peter Gunn theme tune, which was a hit, uh, as well as a, uh, a single with Max Headroom. Now, what was really interesting was that in 1999, Trevor Horn, Paul Morley and Anne Dudley decided to give it another go. And they recruited Lol Cream to be part of this four-piece band. It wasn't originally called Art of Noise, but once ZTT handed over the tapes to Warner Brothers uh, for an album that was going to be called Balance, um, clearly a decision was made to call the outfit Art of Noise. So that's where Lowell's involvement with, with that crew really kind of became official. The album project had kind of morphed through a, a number of different prisms, um, but at the core of it was an obsession with the music of the, the French composer Claude Debussy. And a lot of the songs blend actual re-recorded pieces composed by Debussy, but with the usual art of noise, tomfoolery with sampled sounds, kind of very cool... Um, almost kind of loungy uh, electronic drum parts and so on um, and voiceovers um, mm -hmm. notably on the record that eventually became the seduction of, of Claude Debussy is the voice of John Hurt one of my favourite actors actually um, and some of those pieces are really quite dramatic he's got a wonderful voice Debussy didn't believe in God He didn't believe in the establishment. He didn't believe in bourgeois convention. He didn't believe in Beethoven or Wagner. He believed in 
de Bussy. And the Art of Noise are doing their usual thing of almost like spouting their own musical philosophy, their musical propaganda. And there's yes. a, a, a really interesting concept idea, really, I think, of Debussy's music um, effectively talking to all the senses at the same time. Um, you've got a tremendous sense of, of colour. Some wonderful, beautiful classical guitar arpeggios, uh, where he's picking out some really gorgeous notes, and and lovely kind of ambient sounds that he's doing, uh, little flicks, uh, kind of wah wah effects and so on, and then threading around uh, the soprano voice. But I think it's Sally Bradshaw singing on this. Effectively, what you've got with this album is kind of tasteful background music, but it's really good tasteful background <laughs> music. Um, it, it's very, very subtle. I love what Lowell does on this track. It's so subtle. Um, and, and he uses distortion in a really, really beautiful way. You, you get a lot out of this album, and I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that you do. For, for me, <laughs> yeah, it's halfway between Eno, which is literally background or wallpaper music. Not all of Eno, I should say. Eno, Eno's, you know, deliberate ambient music and and what would be foregrounded. It's, um, it's yeah, it's it sounds on the surface proggy, but it's not really, is it? It's, it, it, no. it's a bit, musically, it's a bit flimsy. It relies on atmospheres and ideas and and the spoken word. Yes, and uh, uh, and hundred year old pieces composed by Debussy. Thank you. Yeah, very there, much. there is well, there there is that. Nothing wrong with sort of bringing classical uh, or melding it with with modern approaches. Uh, yeah, it's it it kind of I really have to concentrate to to uh, to get anything out of this music. Yeah. Um, I still find it difficult to hear what Lowell is doing, even though I know he's perhaps, is he the main guitarist or even the only guitarist? On I think he's the only guitarist on this. With Art of Noise, he didn't want to overdo it. And I think it's a tribute to him that he he only he only does what's necessary. He's, he's quite mm. a minimalist uh, collaborator, I think, Lowell. He just right. adds little touches that I think are, re are really very effective. But I suppose what most irritates me about the art of noise is that they, they genuinely feel that they're so fucking important. Um, the fact that they've, they've pronounced that, that this is, get this, the soundtrack to a film that wasn't made about the life of Claude Debussy. Uh, yeah. But, Where have we heard that before? It's a, a movie for the blind almost. Absolutely. Yeah. But get this, uh, there's a, a compilation album. It's part of a series of, of really uh, fantastic uh, double CD compilations from ZTT that have come out mm -hmm. in in more recent years, and this is um, Art of Noise Influence, which 
tries to gather together the very best of their music, but it's done it through some really rare mixes of some of their tracks and also audio outtakes from the sessions. And there's a, a track pool called Interlude 2. I and thought I, you were going to mention this one. Yes. yes, where we actually hear Lowell's own voiceover in its raw audio form. You've heard, you've, heard, you've heard that, Paul, yeah? Yes, and it's the only track credited to Lowell on his own. That's right. And presumably uh, he, he would have actually written the words. It's really interesting. Any mental activity is easy if it need not take reality into account. The role of melody in music is precisely that of drawing in painting. That is interesting. Assuming, so that is Lowell's words, not Paul Morley's. I think that's Lowell writing and speaking. And, and it, it chimed with me because, like you've just mentioned, we've got Consequences, a movie for the blind and you've also got a, a reference to to lowell's real genius with 10cc writing melody inventiveness and he's making an allusion to painting and drawing as well so maybe that's lowell finally realizing that there was a a distinct link between his his visual artistry and mm. his and his artistry with music That's a really good spot. It's nice to hear what we assume to be his, his real voice there, uh, caught on record. I, I guess he's thinking if Paul Morley can spout stuff on <laughs> as a voiceover. I mean, Paul Morley is good on this, but he, he was better on Newsnight Review, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, so he yes, does, he does like the sound of his own voice. And, and like you were saying to me on the phone the other day, Paul, when they go out on tour, um, <laughs> Paul Morley is this kind of boring compare, isn't he? Well, he, he gets to live out his rock fantasies. Yeah. I mean, good good luck to him. We'd all like to do that. I'm not don't want to criticise him for that. Uh, they did, I think, have a hit with uh, a, a song called Metaphors, which Lowell was. Uh, was a co-writer on. I remember it. Yeah, Ra Rakim, yeah. Was, Rakim was the rapper. Um, mm -hmm. And Lalo's on there again. There's mm -hmm. a vocal by Sally Bradshaw, the soprano that we mentioned earlier. Um, Lalo's on there programming a Roland 303 drum machine, which is interesting. Okay. Um, but I'm not a big fan of the record. Yes, it's interesting that I do remember it, but again, it's uh, it's so far out of my wheelhouse in a way. Hmm. I'm, str I'm struggling. You know, I'm, I'm trying to hang on to a song structure. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that, but I find it difficult to, to grasp it in a way. It's just, it's, I don't know what to say about it. And that's partly because I can't really hear much of Lowell in there either. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. 
I guess much more in your wheelhouse is something that Lowell was involved with a long time after that. And as far as I can see from my chipping around uh, YouTube uh, discogs and some very useful Japanese fan sites, it seems mm. to be that there's a five-year hiatus, Paul, between Seduction of Claude Debussy and the next project, which is with Yanis Tarkin, uh, uh, Trevor and Lol for the Olympics. This I do like. It's the official uh, Olympic torch song, not the Olympic uh, Games song, but the, the, the specifically for the, the, the torch relay. And this was for the Athens Olympics, so mm. it was um, uh, an important one as well. And... Uh, it's called Pass the Flame, isn't it? Written by Trevor and Lowell. Yes. Um, and prefer, performed as uh, by Yanis. Yanis Tarkan Katya, perhaps? Yes. No, aren't they the three vocalists? Isn't the artist called Yanis? Oh, no, you're right. Yeah, no, you're Pot, right. Pot, yeah. Pot, Pot yeah. Serious. We, we've mangled all, all of their names <laughs> comprehensively, so apologies. Yes. But it's a lovely song. The best thing about this song is it's in 11-4. Yes. And uh, it, it's uh, got uh, that lovely... I've it's written that a, one down as well, which is so unusual. It is unusual, but it doesn't feel unusual. It really skips along, and it's got that urgency. Yeah, and uh, it's a really, it's a really nice track. I, I love it. It's it's really interesting. I don't find it a comfortable listen. It's very hard hitting, isn't it? Um, and yeah, but but it stops. It's you've got those a couple of times. It breathes, and 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 the tempo drops away, and you've got the different sections coming in yeah I mean, it's quite it's pretty adventurous for a for a torch relay song and yet it does actually manage to communicate the idea of forward motion i think it's really clever no i'm with you that's and that's a nice observation uh lol's playing an acoustic guitar i think on this which kind of opens the track and comes back in a bit later there's also a, a, a blistering solo on there not by him though is it there's a there's a there's a flamenco solo which isn't by him and the rest of the guitar work is by him i think the the records i've got uh lol is is lol has got a lot of credits on this spanish mm, guitar yeah. solo electric guitar solo guitars keyboards drum programming and bvs which, okay i beg your pardon i thought there was another flamenco there is there. there's a guy called uh Canithareth. Uh, okay. who's playing flamenco guitar and there's there's also there's a japanese guy playing taiko drums and so on uh trevor's busy on this one as well with his usual bass keyboards guitars yeah. and so on so it's lovely to see lol so busy on this in a in a darker moment a couple of days ago i, I wrote next to it thinking man's eurovision <laughs> It's got That's that. A bit better, yeah, that? it's got. Yeah, it's got that kind of grandeur, hasn't it? You can imagine it in a massive stadium. Um, yeah. But, but to me, that the the invention of having a song in eleven four, like mm. a, a basically a, a, a kind of a, a five and then a six, uh, is, yeah. is, is so unusual. And um, yeah, your your idea of the forward motion is a is a great one. 
Yeah, I like that one. Um, so that was interesting. Yeah, I hadn't spotted there was like a five-year break. Uh, and I wonder whether that's, is it because Trevor Horn took a five-year break, so Lowell did as well, or was there some other reason? It could well have been, because you get the, you get the feeling that Trevor's inviting Lowell to guest on every single project, don't you? Hmm, that's right. Uh, with the exception, I think, of uh, Ariel by Kate Bush. Trevor Horn wasn't involved in that, was he? Yeah, this is 2005, isn't it? Um, I don't, yeah, I don't so think I don't think Trevor is involved, um, and, and, and Lowell's only there just doing BVs, isn't he? Yes, that's right. But Kate, I mean, Kate Bush is, you know, a, a very successful producer in her own right. I mean, she has on the record who she wants on the record, and no one else. Yes. And it's it's interesting that she she must have chosen Lowell. Um, don't believe they'd ever collaborated before, and he sings backing vocals on Pie and Nocturne, doesn't mm-hmm. he? Um, and I must admit, I mean, I'm a massive early Kate Bush fan and I'd never really got on with the album Ariel and I still kind of don't. But Same here. It's, it's, it's a pleasant listen um, and, it, and it's her sounding a little bit more out of noisy, isn't, isn't she, with the kind of the more kind of electro beats and things. Yeah, it just drifts along. It's not, you know, it's not... Songs aren't built from the ground up you know, with that wonderful compositional style of her earlier on playing, you know, everything coming from the piano. But, you know, that that that, that aside, uh, I do like the track Pie now. I, mean, I had heard it before, but now having listened to it several times, it really has grown on me. vocals are terrific and um you can hear lol because it's just the two of them on on that track vocally i believe and he's shadowing her or they're singing in unison yes and, that, and their voices go, their voices go together really well don't they yeah they do that that was um he's not to me so noticeable on nocturne um but on pie um it's it's it's, it's a really good it's a really good combination of the voices together no i'm with you yeah, he's he's joined on BVs by Gary Brooker and uh, Kate's brother Paddy. Ah, uh, on Nocturne. Is that that's why we can't hear him as clearly? Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Into the moonlight. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, I think. Earlier that year or the year before, uh, Lol had played on an album by Lisa Stansfield, uh, The Moment, where yes. he's playing guitars on one track, Treat Me Like a Woman. Uh, he's playing clavinet, of all things, on a cover of the Prefab Sprout tune, When Love Breaks Down. Yeah. And uh, and that's interesting. And he's, he's also playing electric guitars with uh, on a track called Say It To Me Now. But I find that album a bit dull, to be honest. 
Much more interesting for me is uh, Lowell on stage with Pet Shop Boys in 2006. Uh, they did an enormous gig uh, in May at the Mermaid Theatre mm. in London. Uh, and some of the tracks just sound absolutely incredible, um, you know, with an orchestra, etc. But it's interesting to see there that the backing band is kind of an art of noise. Yeah. Uh, with yeah. Anne Dudley doing piano and keyboards, uh, Trevor Horn on bass, Lol uh, on, on BVs. But guitarist on this is a chap called Steve Lipson, who right. was one of Trevor Horn's right-hand men at ZTT. Uh, he was a kind of a, a second fiddle, I suppose, on the on the early Frankie Frankie stuff. But mm -hmm. he was given the helm on Frankie's second album, Liverpool. Uh, but oh, also, but notably, okay. notably, my favourite album from from the ZTT stable. Uh, by Propaganda called A Secret okay. Wish, which is mm -hmm. wonderful. And uh, Steve Lipson is is highly involved in that alongside Trevor. And then Steve Lipson takes over some projects on his own. Uh, and I'm, I've got a couple of, uh, of records by a band called ACT, who are basically Thomas Lear and Claudia Brooken from Propaganda, uh, mm -hmm. which is kind of like weak, watered-down propaganda, I suppose. And Steve Lipson isn't the producer that, that Trevor Horn is. He's a little bit more prosaic than Trevor Horn, who was completely visionary for me in, in the way he produced things. Um, but very, very proficient, very, very good, and a very good guitarist. And it's interesting seeing Trevor, Steve Lipson and Lol in the backing band for the Pet Shop Boys, because that very same year, we get the birth of arguably the meatiest lol cream project that we're going to talk about tonight, which is producers. Yes, I'd agree with that. I couldn't change a single thing about you. I'll carry it on for you, my love. Weather the storm. If only because they clearly invested a lot of energy and time into uh, a project which slowly coalesced into into its own uh, its own thing as a completely separate to the art of noise, much more song based. Yes, which make, makes it easier for me to get a handle on it personally. <laughs> yes, of uh, course. Uh, yeah, and a, and, a, and a band that in a slightly different form is still going today, right, as a Trevor Horn band. Absolutely. Uh, I think most of them have come in and out of, of, of Trevor Horn's band. But mm. I think the, the idea of it, on paper, it looked like an amazing, an amazing coming together of some extremely talented producers and songwriters. Um, obviously, Trevor and Lol, uh, we've spoken about them a lot, but the other key members were... Well, three of them, really. Steve Lipson, who we've just talked about, producer, engineer, guitarist. Mm -hmm. uh, as a producer, he's worked with Annie Lennox, Will Young, 
Jerry Halliwell of all people, Jeff Beck and Hans Zimmer. Um, mm -hmm. And he's played guitar and, and, and done computer programming on, on lots of those records. Uh, we've already talked about the work he's done with ZTT. Ash Sone uh, has been an amazingly prolific session drummer. He started life in the Tom Robinson band and then joined Delamitri. Okay. Uh, and but he's he's played sessions on so many people's records. Uh, Rick Wakeman, Belinda Carlisle, Chris Difford, and Glenn, Glenn Tilbrook, CeeLo oh, yeah. Green, Adele, Will Young, Robbie Williams, Gary Barlow, etc., etc., etc. And uh, he's co-written songs with a number of, of big artists. Um, James Morrison, who I, I, I like. Uh, oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, Will, Will Young, Alicia Dixon, Boyzone, uh, and, and others. Um, and, uh, of course, he's been collaborating with Jeff Downs and, uh, and his side project, Downs Braid, with uh, a songwriter called Chris Braid, who was briefly in what would become producers um, mm. when the producers were briefly called Us. And uh, he's an Englishman. He's a songwriter who lives out in Malibu, I think, now. And he's written with, again, a, a really, a real list of of current superstars. You know, Britney, Lana Del Rey, Christina Aguilera, Beyonce, mm. would you believe? Yeah. And Mark Armand. Um, so... On paper, and uh, and our very own Graham Goldman, of course. Oh no, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> Who, uh, yeah, wasn't on the Wikipedia list. That's naughty of them, isn't it? That is. I yeah. think I might get on there and correct that. Yeah. <laughs> See if I can get myself banned, like our good friend Ewan Ling uh, uh, seems to have got himself done. Um, yeah. So I remember Paul when I walked into Record Store Day. I think it was my first one, uh, mm -hmm. two thousand and seven, and I walked in and saw this 12-inch kind of mini-album, an EP really, um, called Producers, with the names Ash Sohn, Steve Lipson, Trevor Horn and Lowell Cream. I can't describe how excited <laughs> I was about that. Yes. Uh, because it, it just, it seemed like it would be the second coming. had a couple of versions of Garden of Flowers, this kind of big bombastic um, sub-prog thing, uh, a track called Freeway, which we'll come on to talk about, and mm -hmm. a B-side called Seven. And again, we'll, we'll talk about that one because it's one of my very favorite things that they, they put out. But, okay. there, but there was something about the sound, Paul, that was trying to be huge, sounding a little bit proggy, elements of rock and pop bits of frankie and buggles but sort of empty kind of all mouth and no trousers uh are you talking about the album made yeah. in Beijing street Ian? yeah uh yeah it's it's not quite greater than the sum of its parts is it and we can sort of discuss why uh maybe and um uh, they're a good band, though. 
Uh, I've been watching, I I love watching, I've never seen them live, and that was probably a mistake on my part, Mm. but there's some concerts around 2012, notably one that's very nicely filmed in in Japan. They sound fantastic. Interestingly there, uh, Chris Braid has, has left, I guess, by that stage, and he's not the lead vocalist, which might have something to do with why it doesn't quite coalesce. I think his, his voice, even though he's obviously a very good multi-instrumentalist, his voice is a little too bland. Um, yeah, yeah, on the album, I think those leads that you're talking about, Paul, might, yeah. be, might be Ryan Malloy. Oh, I, in which case, I need to apologise to Chris Braid, cause, uh, but... Um, at the same time, criticise <laughs> uh, Mr. Malloy then, because yes. it, it must be that voice that I'm not enjoying. Okay, I beg your pardon. Yeah, yeah, sorry. And, and I only found this out today. Um, yeah, okay. R- Ryan sings lead on Freeway, Man, right. on, Man on the Moon, and mm-hmm. Stay Elaine. And there's something very thin and reedy about his voice. A bit sque- squeaky and annoying. As you drive. During the Japanese YouTube performance, which I think is around, you know, made around that time, and it's a, it's a performance where, and they did this a lot more live. They did a lot more covers. When I say covers, they were hits that one or more of the producers had been involved in, yeah. like notably Video Kill the Radio Star and stuff like that. Um, but even on the original tunes, um, they sound better. They've got this guy called Peter Cordino at that point. Well, I don't know how long he was in the band. And he's got a great voice and he's also a brilliant keyboard player. So I really enjoyed that concert. I don't know how long he was with them for. And very arcane piece of trivia here. I thought that's an unusual name. And I found that Peter Gordino is the son of the dancer come uh, choreographer come actor Peter Gordino Sr., who was who was um, Captain Carlin in the in Jerry Anderson program UFO. <laughs> <laughs> really going down a rabbit hole here, yeah. but that, 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 that tickled me. <coughs> that is anyway, fantastic trivia, Paul. Yeah, Peter called, and there's even, a, we can even join that up with the fact that Peter Tattersall used to be friendly with Aisha, um, um, if I'm pronouncing uh, pronouncing that name right, and she, she also was in UFO and she recorded at Strawberry, but we've gone off on one now. Oh yeah, that rings a, that rings a bell. Uh, yeah. from, our, from our chat with Pete Tussle. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah, do right. You remember? Yeah, yeah, yes, I yeah. do. But uh, it, it, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, we'll come on to talk a little bit more about about the the album producers and yeah. Made in Basing Street because there are some some fine moments on it. There are, and I think the highlight is a track that doesn't really fit at all. But it was ironically their first single. Never in the history of mankind. Has a guy like me been lucky enough to find A love that made him feel so Like some kind of superhero But that's just how I feel inside uh, That came out before uh, the album was released Freeway was on the B-side, but the A-side 
was a lovely little song called Barking Up the Right Tree, which almost stands alone as the only time we get to hear Lol singing a lead vocal post 1980s Godly and Cream. Well, post mugshots? Yeah. <laughs> I know, Is it's incredible. Really? And it's a lovely vocal. It kind of harks back to the voice he was singing with on five o'clock in the morning. Yes, it's a little more ragged around the edges by that stage, isn't it? Because it's like 25 years later. Yeah. But it's, he had a lot to do with this song. Have you seen that video where he kind of explains the writing of it? No, I haven't seen that. Uh, there's a little two or three minute clip. It, they're kind of promo, little promo films for the, for the Made in Basing Street album. And he, he, this is a song that's clearly close to his heart. I think the dr- Ash, I think, was had the little guitar riff mm. and then Lol um, just kind of wrote the song around it, driving home or something like that. So I think it's also, it's a Lol melody stroke Lol lyric, which is, mm. which is nice. And it clearly means a lot to him. I carry it all for you, my love. Weather And it's, it's very, it's, yeah, it's a very gentle, small little song amongst these quite big, grandiose yes. other material, you know, song material on the album. Absolutely, and, and it's lovely. It's, it's a tribute to his missus, basically, isn't it? Yeah, it's sweet, isn't it? Yeah. It's sweet. Uh, and I, I think it's a lovely tune. There's some great harmonies. Um, and it's got a kind of a clean, almost like a West Coast sound to it. Um, you know, yeah. it's like an, an eagle's outtake or something. Uh, yeah, it, it's very disarming. And uh, but the yeah, primarily because of Lowell's vocal though, which do, which never lets it sound so smooth. I, I don't know something about it. Yes, I know I what guess you mean. It's, it's um, uh, yeah. If if Gloria had "I'm Not in Love," Ange I suppose has um, "Barking Up the Right Tree." <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that puts it in perspective. Um, yeah, why or, not? Or, or any number of songs uh, that Eric uh, wrote f- for Gloria. Yeah, right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it's definitely, for me, it's my favourite track on the record. Um, and oh, it's, it's, not my, it's not mine. Go, what's your favourite then, Paul? Uh, Garden of Flowers by Mile. Are you floating in clouds above rivers in moonlight over the sea? It's a great because, track, isn't it? Because it's so touching, um, it's it's a tribute, obviously, from Trevor to his his wife, mm. and who who had this tragic accident. Um, presumably, you know this story. Yeah, Jill. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we don't need to go into details, but um, she was still alive, but critically ill when this song was recorded, written and recorded. I think it was the last track. Um, written and recorded for the record as well which is interesting and again they talk about that on one of those promo videos Mm. I love it it's a beautiful melody it's it's very poetic and touching 
lyric, um, unlike a lot of the other lyrics on the album. Um, I, I'm just going to quote some of it because it's so lovely. Wind over water is building the sea, I think it says. Sailors are sleeping in quiet marinas, waiting till sunrise to put out to sea. Um, it's lovely. And um, I also really like the fact that Trevor Horn sings it. Yes. His voice is in really great shape. Yes. And uh, I like the close high harmony. It's either a self-harmony or it might be one of the female vocalists guesting, I'm not sure. But yeah, that's that's a great song. It's it's a real me, it's... epic as well, isn't it? I mean, the the whole sound of it as well, Paul. Uh, yeah, huge and beautiful. It's not it's not kind of grossly overwritten or anything. There's just wonderful kind of powerful riffs. It's it's quite it's mm. moving. It actually gets your your pulse racing. <laughs> Sometimes mm. makes you want to kind of get up and and move, you know. Um, not air guitar, but I find it a very yeah. a very moving track in many ways. Yeah, it's powerful. There's a different version with where Ash uh, is allowed to yes. really kind of let loose with a solo at the beginning, and he's yeah. kind of breaking out of his uh, pop uh, gate, if you like, and he's he's doing some. <laughs> progressive stuff which definitely is, which is cool. and and lol and steve lipson are doing some really great guitar on that alternate version as well yes so that's that's a winner that's that's the best track for me yeah uh, yeah it's an obvious highlight uh, of the record it's it, you know it's not the same as barking up the right tree but the two tracks yeah. together are kind of polar opposites and and brilliant in in their own right um and it's interesting we both agree that where the album really works is is when Ryan Malloy doesn't sing lead vocals, basically, and and where Tre guess, yeah. where Trevor's singing lead vocals uh, is really effective. I really like um, Every Single Night in Jamaica as well. Both that and Garden of Flowers, in many ways, are kind of throwbacks to Buggles, and I, I was a big Buggles fan of both their yeah, me too. Yeah, both their albums. Uh, the melody of Garden of Flowers reminds me of a track on the first album called Astro Boy. It keeps oscillating between two notes, doesn't it? Yeah. But, but not in a boring way because no. the harmony is moving underneath. Um, yeah. It, it, yes, it does sound very Buggles, doesn't yes. it? Yes, and there are, there are lovely echoes uh, of, of Buggles in this. Um, Jamaica has 
a sort of chorus or pre-chorus that, that really gets inside me, like the chorus of Plastic Age used to. I find Plastic oh, yeah. Age a really exciting record. And, that, oh, yeah. and that's one of the reasons why Every Single Night in Jamaica just gets me. I can feel... I can feel the hairs on my arms bristling up. You know, it's it's fantastic, um, but a lot of a lot of the album is is kind of lightweight, and where I the only place I really derive fun in the rest of the songs is where I hear little steals from <laughs> from Lowell's past, for example, uh, where he's nicking his guitar riff from Sweet FA on the Hot Legs album. That's on freeway, isn't it? It is. It is. And what's the other one? Did you spot the other one? Oh, absolutely. He's got he's got his flood bass, hasn't he? Yeah, on on your life. Yes. And he, and he is credited with bass on the album, so I'm wondering if it is actually him playing it. Mm. You know, it's interesting because we're so geeky about LOL. I wonder if the other producers are also kind of um, you know ransacking their archives, and we're just not <laughs> noticing yeah. because we don't. We don't we don't know all their bit, their bits, but we know no, absolutely. Lost. Well, um, Trevor Horn is is definitely doing some ransacking. Um, yeah, so one of my, I think my third favourite um, producers track was was actually B side on that EP that I bought on Record Store Day called Seven. Have you have you managed yeah. to track that one down? Yeah, um, talk about the uh, past the flame being in eleven. This one is in seven, isn't it? It is. It is. One of the things I really love about it is that it's it's kind of part two of one of my favourite tracks from Buggles' first album. You remember I Love You, Miss Robot? Uh, you're a bit deeper into them than I am, I think. I'm well, a mainly well, a singles guy. Yeah, where the, the lead vocal is a kind of a duet between Trevor Horn singing through a vocoder and his okay. kind of softer, normal voice. Uh, right. and, and it's a song about basically being in love with a robot. Ahead of its time, really. And Seven is kind of along those lines where Trevor Horn is, is looking for love and he phones up this kind of virtual escort agency who are giving okay. him these AI prostitutes. And, right. and he's in all sorts of kind of ex existential angst about whether this <laughs> robot is going to love him back. Uh, right. I, I think it's a lovely track. The fact it's in seven four makes it, you know, even more interesting. But again, it's it's. I guess I find vocoders irresistible. <laughs> you do, don't you? I do. I do.
do you know the track yours truly 2095 by elo then that's exactly the same theme and that's full of vocoders you must yeah you must absolutely i, I, I think that. from the the moment i heard probably mr blue sky i was i was hooked <laughs> right brilliant um yeah the, yeah mixed bag of songs I'm looking at the ones i like here i like i like your life that's the one which lifts the flood bass riff yeah um it's got some interesting changes and, and sort of changes of mood. But a lot of these tracks, I'm, I can look at looking at the titles and I'm kind of struggling to, re, to remember a lot of them. They're a bit interchangeable for me. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. And uh, there's a song that on paper you and I should really like, Man on the yeah. Moon. Know what you're going to say. Yeah, yeah uh, which has got you know lots of proper chords in it and yeah. proper chord progressions but they just they really piss me off they're just irritating and the vocal is is just horrible man on the moon how does it feel the empty sky nothing well it's it's just a little bland um that reminds me the man. This was originally going to be a concept album, wasn't it? Yeah. Maybe it had lots of concepts. I've written it down here. The Path of Sydney Arthur, a concept about a man born on the day of the moon landings, I think. Yeah. And that would have been, well, I mean, this could have done with being a concept album, couldn't it? You know, mm. often it's a naughty idea, but this is a collection of fairly disparate songs. I think it would have been nice to thread them into, into a bigger picture, but, you know. Yes. But if if Man on the Moon was was typical of what would be their Apollo yeah, tribute, yeah, no thanks. Maybe not. Yeah, so um, ultimately, producers is is disappointing for me. Like I said before, what huge promise! I was so excited, and it's <laughs> um, I've kind of enjoyed revisiting it the past couple of weeks. I have to say, but yeah. uh, I, I still skip to to listening to my three favourites. <laughs> Yeah, well, so you know, I've I've come to this album new, and um, yeah, some of it's some of it's really great, and most of it's enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, nice to nice to come to the album new. Yeah, and and great that we hear Lol audible, involved as co-writer, guitarist, um, singer, and and lots of other stuff as well. He's credited with guitars, marimba, bass, backing vocals keyboards and percussion so and, that, and that's lovely to see isn't it it's like reading the sleeve of a 10cc album yeah it's like looking at his name uh and then all those instruments yeah. on how dare you or something like that isn't it absolutely yeah. uh and then from there it's kind of a it's a downhill slope in terms of of where i'm interested in lol's output and his guest appearances become less and less visible and audible and I should hate myself because I'm just a sentimental fool in love. Can't get to sleep because I'm thinking about us. Makes no difference if it's wrong or it's right. I stay away just in case you come home tonight. There's there's one just slightly predating this one, uh, the track "Sentimental." Did you listen to that by yes. Julian Vellard? That, 
I, I just love that song. I think it's a brilliant song. And Roll's one of the four co-writers. And yes. again, this was slightly interesting, or maybe quite interesting. When I looked at the PRS database, he's got a bigger share in the writing than any of the others. Really? Um, which must mean he had a major part in writing the song. It doesn't really sound like a lol song, but I do like it. No, no, I'm with you. And that's probably the only one of the later things that, that I was excited by. Okay. It's okay. certainly a nice piece of music. Be selling stocks and selling bonds. Be making deals, creating jobs for the poor. Doing good for mankind. Instead of being stuck way back in time, I'm just... But the other stuff is kind of... A, again, he, he's through the back door with, with Uncle Trev. Um, he's, <laughs> he's playing bit parts on the occasional track on albums that are very mainstream and, I think, very successful. Um, he played on an instrumental version of Feeling Good, didn't he, uh, on the Escala album. Again, that's a gorgeous piece of music. It is. Uh, written, of course, by Anthony Newley, of all people. Um, Did he really? Yeah, written uh, by Anthony Newley and Leslie Bracuse. I'm sorry if I'm if I'm mispronouncing his collaborator's name. Yeah, it was uh, Nina Simone did the first version back in the early 60s. Yes. It's a terrific song. Um, and I do like the, uh, I mean, uh, this probably has not a lot to do with Lowell, but I love the Wurlitzer well, piano. It sounds like... Roger Hodgins, Hodgins coming on board doing the, you know, as a session musician. Yeah. I just love the, I love the sound of the track. Yeah. But again, again, exactly how much it has to do with Lowell, really, I don't know. Yeah, and there are three guitarists on it, you know, uh, his, yeah. his producer's mate Steve Lipson's on there and Phil Palmer, who's also featured on quite a lot of these Trevor Horn productions. But uh, okay. you, you mentioning Anthony Newley, it reminds me of... Uh, well, I'll that? tell you one thing Tony Newley said to me. What was that? Who are you? Yeah. Just like that. Just like that. And I thought it made Tony Newley a, a wonderful human being. Let's be controversial now, Paul. Uh, I'm okay. actually quite a fan of Robbie Williams' reality Kill the Video Star album. And it might be because I, I, I got a, a reading just by by seeing Trevor Horn's production credit when I when I picked it up in a charity shop. Um, Lowell's on one of the tracks, I think, uh, won't do that. What yeah, do you think? Have you heard the album? Well, I can't. Was there a couple of hits on it? Yeah. Can you remember what they were? <laughs> I can't. I can't. Um, he, he put out so many albums, and he's had so many yeah. singles. I think it was in his leaner years. Yeah, he'd split from Guy Chambers at this point, presumably. Yes, and I'm not sure if it was before or after his work with with Stephen Duffy. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, that that track uh, is kind of, that lolls on is quite beatly, isn't it? It's it is slightly awkward. It, it doesn't quite. There's something I don't know. Is it not not the subject for? A, this podcast but there's something about Robbie Williams that it's like a broken piece which at one point snags at the other point makes him interesting do you know what I mean there is something quite interesting about him yeah definitely the fact he's broken 
Yeah, he's a, he's a very young, underrated lyricist. I think. I agree. I think yeah. he, he's put out some fantastic, some fantastic songs. I don't think this is one of them. No, it's, I, that's I, I right, think yeah. I think the word you were looking for before was naff. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's nice. Um, it's a good song, but I don't know, and it doesn't really fit the album. Uh, particularly, I think the album sounds great. I mean more to you than handbags and shoes. I'm so sorry, there's been a few. I don't trust too much, I don't love enough, but I'm giving up all this. Okay, right. yeah, and right. it's worth a listen, but of course, you know, I'm, I'm halfway down the Trevor Horn idolizing. Uh, tunnel that, that you are um yeah and then uh, th- there's, there's some other bit of it i think you've you've got to carry on yes absolutely and then there's stuff like him lol turning up on the ollie murs album for one well, track. You co- that's a co-write isn't it yeah a million more years which i mean what is there to say i listened hard to that and I, now i can't remember what the song is like and that probably well that maybe i shouldn't sort of beat myself up about it maybe it's just a, a boring song yeah it's, it's one of those typical kind of the typical kind of ballad you get from an x-factor contestant yeah the year Which after is... they they do well in the competition it's all right yeah you know i mean and um you know he's got a good voice but ollie Murs just annoys the hell out of me i could honestly i could i could tread on his face all day long yeah he speaks very highly of you yeah, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. <laughs> a million more years, if that's what it takes. I know that you'll find me in another lifetime. Yeah, so I, I, I don't, I can't think there's anything interesting to say there. Lol plays guitar alongside phil palmer again uh ash Sohn's playing drums and uh, the orchestra's conducted by ann dudley so it, it's very much the kind of the comfortable crowd that mr mm. horn has gathered together mm. and uh this is completely true of uh the later albums by seal uh who trevor horns publicly said is his favorite artist ever to to mm. work with He's done countless albums for Seal now. Um, I, I've always been a massive fan of his first record, and cra- yeah, cra- "Crazy" I think is a wonderful, wonderful record. Right, but "Kiss from a from a Rose" was the first Trevor Horn no. production. No, that was from his second album, I believe. "Kiss from a Rose." That's a wonderful oh, song. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, was did Trevor Horn produce "Crazy"? Yes, he did, and um, "Killer." Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Great, great wow. stuff, and and Seals, yeah. one of our best singers, I, I would argue. Certainly, if if, yeah. if you like, you know, soulful grit, wonderful, wonderful yeah. singer. But um, Seals' uh, second soul album, uh, I think I've got both of these. Um, you know, they're they're almost easy listening, really. But just it, a bunch, it, it's just a bunch of covers, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's the band is really interesting to see because. It's very much the the Trevor Horn pared down band with Ash on right. drums, Trevor on bass and BVs, Phil Palmer again electric guitar and and Lol playing electric guitar with him. Think I will let it go. Oh, yeah. let it go. 
so you, you really see, I, I guess, an attempt to to make it sound like a, a real, genuine, small band. Um, okay, and, yes, tr- and Trevor's good. really pulled together his his favourite collaborators. See, I try to hold on, but my faith is gone. It's just another sad song. But I think I better let it go. Law plays again a few years later on uh, another Seal album called Seven. Uh, and okay. again, he, he's coming up playing guitar. But do you know, Paul, I, I, w- with each track, I, I find it harder and harder and harder <laughs> to actually find where Lol is on the track. Yes. Uh, it, in some cases, I think, is it my ears or has he been mixed out? Could be, yeah, it, it could be the latter. Um, yeah, and, and that, uh, to bring us, to bring it right back round again, that that's kind of... This has been a, a very enjoyable conversation about lots of interesting music, but it's, as we've said, it's been kind of difficult some of the time to bring Lol into focus, hasn't it? It really has, and we can only bring him into focus through the lens of, of his mate Trevor. Hmm. Um, yeah. But Lol's obviously very happy to kind of uh, have tripped along like that. Yeah, maybe it's it's our problem, not his. I mean, it scarcely <laughs> matters, doesn't it? I mean, what he gave us musically, uh, never mind audio-visually, if you like, between, let's say, even the mid-60s and uh, the late 80s, mm. I mean, that's that legacy is enough for anybody. Um, if you wanted to sort of, you know, um, throttle back a bit, then... And, and he's having a good time doing it, well... That's right, and... and- having a wonderful life in LA um, make, yeah. making a, a, a good healthy living making his TV ads um, yeah, exactly. you know fantastic for him but from our point of view Paul as podcasters it's blooming, <laughs> yes. it's blooming frustrating yeah and, and we're really you know we're at the centre of, uh, of, of yeah a lot of, you know you should, yeah you've left us up the up the creek really but um, <laughs> Yes, so, um, and, and and it's yeah, it's been a challenge this one, and I I can see why we've held off Paul for all these months, with yeah. Lol being the, the gaping elephant in the room. Uh, <laughs> what an unfortunate. Um, yes, a gaping uh, elephant Paul, sounds <laughs> sounds, <laughs> sounds like a Sasha Baron Cohen movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Enough of that. Looking at it now, and I've got I've got notes in front of me that that put everything in black and white and and still i'm not i'm not finding lol you've lost that love and feeling oh that love and feeling you've lost that love and feeling now it's gone 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 there's one tune I didn't mention, Paul. I'm not sure if it's okay. if it's worthy of mention. Uh, it's the overtones. Oh yes, you've lost that loving feeling. Yeah, yeah, bit of an overblown version. But your yeah. your your um, aforementioned Peter Gordino's playing keyboards on that. Oh, is he? Yeah. Okay. Oh well, we must have a clip of that then because I do <laughs> like him. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, good version, but you know you, you yeah. wonder you know why bother. Uh, it's yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, um, it's a funny yeah. He's a slippery fish in this episode, Lol, isn't he? He is, um, and 
I wonder if this, Paul, uh, which I, I, I think we'll leave our listeners with, is mm-hmm. arguably what Lowell Cream is most famous for since 1990. Um, it's not good, but it's amusing. Have you ever heard of a record called Lol Cream by Legs Benedict? <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, it's the. Uh, it's from an EP uh, called El Portal. I think it's pronounced right. like that. El Portal, uh, which features some some fairly well known and, and well used samples. And for some reason, it's called Lol Cream. <laughs> Here we go, Paul, and uh, we'll we'll love you and leave you, gentle listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope we haven't rambled too much, and I, I hope at, at times we've sounded like we actually uh, knew what we were talking about. But in this case, we don't. And uh, but we've enjoyed having a guess. So uh, oh, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, and uh, we'll we'll see you really soon. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Cheers. Listening to the Consequences podcast, produced by Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Thanks for listening.